Hey there, welcome to the show. Uh, you know what? Sunday, my favorite day because I get to talk about real estate and hopefully you've tuned in to, I don't know, listen to some of the experts that are going to be joining me. Speaking of experts, you know what? I, uh, I do like to talk about industrial commercial real estate. I know we all believe that our houses are the only thing that exists, but you know what? When you see the amount of warehousing being built, the logistics companies just taking up acres and acres, well, there's no better person to chat about this than Mike Chesahovsky. He's the executive VP at CBRE. He's going to be joining me. He's been a guest numerous, numerous times here on the show over the years, and uh, I need to get an update. I need to find out where those numbers are at because I keep seeing more and more construction. I don't know about you, but if you drive around the GTA or even on the outskirts, you start seeing these huge fields being taken up by these monstrosity of warehousing. And we know it's all about logistics nowadays. And so that, that part of the industry, I think, is going you know, up and through the roof. Um, but you know, if you want to talk about the economy and where we're going to be looking, what does inflation have to do with interest rates? Well, one of my guests joining me also will be Benjamin Tall. He is Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets. And Mr. Tall has been a frequent guest here over the years. Always great to have him on board, but we're going to talk about interest rates, folks. Um, this is the gentleman you want to listen to. He will tell you exactly what is probably going to happen. I, he doesn't have a crystal ball, but I'm going to tell you the percentage of his uh, times he's been right is incredible. So we do want to talk to him. And I've got uh, John Lussink, uh from Right at Home. He's going to be joining me uh, in a little while as well. We're going to be talking about the real estate market and what's happening on the ground. So lots and lots of things going on. And hey, by the way, don't forget coming up this Thursday, no, not this Thursday, uh, a week, two weeks, yeah, a week and a half, Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. That is going to be my real estate investment webinar. Yeah, uh, one of the things I think everybody should do is learn about what real estate investment can do for you and probably where there is the best place to buy. You don't have to be part of the Simple Investor Program, but it's really, really important, I think, that everybody realizes the future of real estate and what it can do for you and the next generation. We do talk a lot about generational wealth, so make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. You don't want to miss out. Uh, I am going to be breaking down you know, things such as financing, the outer markets, where you should be looking, and who makes the best tenant. So lots going on, and that is Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m. And uh, other than that, been an interesting week in the world of real estate. Um, a lot of stuff hitting the fan. And, you know, I joined Jerry Agar this week um, because there was a report out from Marketplace. And they were talking about some real estate agents caught on hidden camera breaking the law, steering buyers away from low commission homes. So that's going to be part of my rant today uh, as well. I do want to talk to you about the escalation in insurance and holy smokes, uh, out of control? Oh, yeah. Uh, it feels like the Wild West. And if there was a pot of gold, this seems like the insurance companies are going for it. But uh, like I said, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on the real estate situation because this is, um, this is very important. For those of you that uh, end up listing with, let's say, and I, I don't want to use the word discount broker because that's not what uh, the people that put out lower commission rates aren't necessarily discount. They've just opted to say, okay, uh, if you come in and you, we're going to offer you a lower commission rate than, let's say, your neighbor next door. So let's let's talk about the real estate transaction just for a second. 
So when you list your property, okay, you have your listing agreement. Uh, there is a timeline in it. Uh, they have things such as holdover clause. So in other words, if the agent introduces the buyer to your property, you know, you can't sell it to that person on the side down the road, you know, for the next 90 or 180 days. Okay. The contract states that, you know, you are bound to that agent and you're going to agree to pay a certain either percentage or a set fee for them to transact for you. So transacting for you, being a listing agent, put it out on the MLS. Uh, if they've gone to an MLS contract, it could be an exclusive contract, but they now owe you a fiduciary duty to protect you, the seller. So what ends up happening when people turn around and they offer out a lower commission to the buyer agent? So to the agent that's going to bring the person that's going to purchase your property. Well, again, this, this marketplace, um, you know, I, I would say the, the the way they they were able to gain or or bring bring this to light was the fact that there was some lower commission being offered to the selling to the to the buyer agent, uh, and they were able to you know pose as buyers. And there was some agents that turned around and basically made every excuse not to show a house that had a lower commission, and you know it was almost like they've never heard of this before. And for those of you that don't know a whole lot about me, I've been in the real estate world for over 30 years. And I can tell you that when discount brokers came out in the 90s, or if people were trying to, you know, save on commissions, this still happened. And for those of you that have been around for a long time, there are agents that would not show a property that were offering a lower cooperating broker commission. And they basically tried to steer away because they thought, okay, this is now, you know, going into my pocket. So is it right or is it wrong? Well, it's 100% wrong. There's not one agent that can say legally or for that matter, ethically should be doing this because when you are representing both buyer and seller, you owe them to be responsible, knowledgeable, and give them all options for them to make their informed decision. So, if an agent was to turn around and they noticed that it said 1%, and this is the problem with these listings, was that they were only offering a much lower commission than they could buy around the corner. They immediately came up with excuses why not to see it. So again, they should be taken to task. And I'm pretty sure that the Real Estate Council of Ontario, which are basically the, the watchdogs, what we call the police of realtors, I'm pretty sure that uh, you know the, file, the, the complaints will be filed and they will definitely be reprimanded either by fine or potentially loss of their license. So should that happen? I think so. Because you know when people start putting the needs of themselves and the almighty dollar ahead of their client, then they're offside. Now, the problem is, is that we've got so many realtors out there. And again, I know a lot of you will get upset with me when I say, you know, always use a full-time professional realtor. It's not that I'm just venting on the part-timers, but you know what? You're charging, you know, an incredible fee. You should be doing this full-time. It shouldn't be a part-time gig. It shouldn't be a side hustle. You know, this, you need to be a professional at all times. Now, if I'm offending any of you, that means that you you don't feel like you're a professional. Um, if you agree with me, then then you'd follow the basic you know motto that you've got to represent your client. It's not about you, and I think this is where everybody gets lost: is that a lot of realtors make it about themselves. They forgot about who is the important person, and that's that client that you're supposed to represent. 
why should you get paid a dime if you're only worried about you? And you know, this is one of the things uh, as a practicing realtor years ago, I had to make sure that every single one of my clients, and it was one of these things, I wanted to make sure that they got the best deal for them. It's, it, it's about them. And I think that if everybody in the industry realized that, I think the industry would clean itself up. But unfortunately, you know, as much as we do have some, you know, regulations and we have a body that does ma manage it, I still think there's so many loopholes that are being utilized. And I think it needs to be cleaned up because quite frankly, this is more common than not. And even though people are trying, and there's no reason for people not to sit there and try to negotiate commissions, because guess what? It is a negotiation. So it's up to you as a homeowner or you know a home buyer to decide if you feel that what you're paying is right. And so again, if the realtor is strong and they are a professional and you see the value in them, then by all means, you can decide if that's what you're going to pay them. But we don't see that nowadays. We're seeing more and more people just jump into the industry. Like in the last 18 months, it's been crazy. So many new people getting licensed because they say, oh, look, I can make a quick buck. Well, if that's your you know, comment, then don't bother coming into the industry. You know what? The industry's better without people like that. And so I'm going to dissuade anybody that just thinks it's about the money, then they shouldn't be in it. Because if it's about the money, you're going to fail. And, you know, some people are going to get caught just like these agents are. And you know what? Throw the book at them. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what? Rico should do their job. And I think it's important that everybody learns to follow the rules and regulations. And the most important person that you should be worried about is your client. Now, speaking of, you know, clients and businesses, you know, I had a staggering revelation this week. Um, as most of you know, we do a lot of developments and we buy buildings and everything else. And insurance in Ontario, in Canada, has gone up so astronomically, people have no idea. So when your condominium corporation turns around and says, we've got to increase, you know, your condominium fees, you'd be surprised what's happening right now to these large buildings, the insurance riders and everything that's going on them. It is staggering. And with some of the recent acquisitions we've made, insurance rates are up probably two to 300% more than they were just a few years ago. So if you're a person that's out looking at what I call a multi-res building, so more than six units, or for that matter, if you're even looking at your own home and having it as a duplex or a rental basement apartment or anything to do with this, make sure you track down the correct numbers when we talk about insurance, okay? Because there are so many issues out there right now. As I said, it feels like the Wild West. And despite the fact we all know that we must have insurance, there's got to be a way the government's going to have to step in and start regulating this down a little because it is going to put so much pressure on so many landlords that I think it's going to cause a lot of problems. And so this is one of those, you know, I would say very big concerns that we all should be uh, looking at in the future. So that's kind of my double rant this week. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, coming up on Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m., I've got my Simple Investment Real Estate webinar. And, you know, it's it's exciting. And so go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. You don't want to miss out on it. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, by the way, thesimpleinvestor1. 
And as I had mentioned earlier in the show, um, we've got Mike Chesahosky. He's the executive VP at CBRE, and he's going to be joining me right after the break. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My next guest joining me, no stranger to the show, but I haven't spoken to him in several months. Uh, Mike Chesahosky is the executive uh Vice President at CBRE, and Mike's been a you know a, a great contributor over the years, talking about the commercial and industrial part of real estate. You know, we always think real estate, we think residential, we think homes, we think condos, but uh, you got to get the land somewhere, you got to get it developed, and there's nobody better to talk about this than Mike. And Mike, welcome back. Thank you, Dodd. Thanks for having me back. Always a great pleasure having you on the show, Mike. And, you know, you and I haven't spoken in a few months, but I do want to ask you what your marketplace is looking like. You know, a lot of people were getting pretty scared with some of the office towers and the vacancies. But from my understanding, it seems like we're seeing a bit of a bounce back in the commercial uh, market and especially very, very strong in the industrial market. Uh, Employment market throughout the GTA and outside the GTA, I'd say in the greater Golden Horseshoe is extremely strong. Uh, And I think primarily that's driven by the logistics users wanting space. And these users are big. They're they're not 50 or 100,000. They're 250, 500, a million square feet. Uh, Certainly on the office market, we certainly weren't affected by COVID the way we were worried that we might be. Uh, Certainly um, a lot of the sublet space that was put on the market has been sucked up. And uh, we're seeing a resurgence that people are coming back to the downtown. We see that even on the rental, residential rental market is that much better. Uh, on the condo side, very steady. You know, it, it's, it's stabilized nicely. And, you know, the only concern there is construction costs and what other government, uh, you know, type of fees we're going to get nailed with. Uh, inclusionary zoning is coming into place in the city of Toronto. And that's always a concern. Uh, and on the single family home market, uh, Todd, as we were speaking, you know, certainly 416-905 is continuing to be very strong. But what is surprising is the amount of activity out of town. Uh, people are going certainly further afield. They're going to Hamilton. They're going to London, Kitchener, uh, Guelph. They're going north, Barrie and some of the smaller communities. And Lindsay, Peterborough, uh, great activity on the single family home side. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, one of the things, you know, we focus on is the outer markets and we're seeing a huge, um, you know, surge towards, as you mentioned, the Londons, the Kitcheners, even the, even the St. Catharines of the world. And it's amazing how many new developers are going out that way. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you're just kind of driving along a, almost a dirt road, I'd say, and all of a sudden you see coming soon, you know, 250 townhomes starting from, and, you know, the price point that we're seeing in the outer markets it, as much as it's affordable in comparison to Toronto, it's still surprising that these markets are getting as strong as they are. I think a lot of it is driven by people that during COVID is, have learned they can work at least part-time remotely. And uh, a lot of people, I think, are making a lifestyle decisions to move into the smaller communities and saying, you know, uh, I've learned that I, I'd prefer to be in a smaller community. And I don't mind working, you know, four days a week from home. And if I have to commute in one day a week, that's okay. I'll commute in one day a week. Um, and I think that's really driving these these markets outside the GTA. 
So, you know, I haven't spoken to you since the federal election. Uh, of course, that was a waste of $600 million and really didn't change the landscape of anything. But one of the things that I did comment a lot about was the commitment that a lot of these federal parties were trying to make towards housing being one of the greatest concerns that we have. And we keep people keep using the word affordable housing. And I like to use the word housing that's affordable. Of course, those are two distinct things. And the fact that, you know, we've got some of these federal leaders saying, oh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to guarantee uh, building uh, a million houses. We're going to guarantee 1.4 million houses. Well, you know, recently we, we did a study and we found out that Ontario itself is going to need a million more homes in the next 10 years based on, you know, immigration and migration. How are we going to keep up with this? I mean, you're in a huge section of the land development uh, part of real estate. How is it possible that Ontario itself is going to be able to average 100,000 new units a year? We're not. We, we just don't have the trades. We don't have the supply chain. Uh, I don't know how quickly we're going to get things approved. Um, you know, Toronto is a great example. We are capped out at probably between 15 and 18,000 high rise units a year that we can build. We can sell more. We probably could sell another 10,000 over and above that. We just can't deliver them. We just don't have the people. And I think that, you know, we've, we've talked to no end the whole streamlining of the supply uh, of the development approval process, uh, you know, that's solely in the hands of government to try to streamline that, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully sooner or later, we, we have a government that does it and, and gets more supply into into the, the the housing market. But we have a problem with, with our supply chain situation and we have a big supply, ch- a big problem with our trades. A lot of our trades are retiring and young people are not going into the trades. We need a government that opens the borders to to tradespeople or convinces their young people and trains them to be, you know, skilled trades. That's a big issue. Until we solve that problem, we're not going to deliver the homes. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that everybody thinks the runaway market again and, and these, you know, a lot of the narrative floating around in the industries is that it's interest rate driven. And again, you know, it's greed and everything else. But if you don't have the inventory, you don't have the inventory. It's when you outweigh the number of buyers to the number of sellers, you know, i.e., you know, could be developers. We ha- we have had this problem. You and I have discussed this in length for years, knowing that municipalities with the red tape is probably our biggest obstacle. And of course, then we've got the people that don't want anything built in their backyard or any kind of density put into the area. So again, now that we've got the federal government saying, you know, borders are going to start opening up, you know, they wanted to shoot for 400,000 new immigrants coming into Canada this year. Well, it might compound it next year and we'll see 800,000. Again, you know, we're watching the rental market. We're starting to see more heat on the actual rents themselves. And we hear multiple offers in some neighborhoods. You know, I think that the rental market is also going to suffer massively from a lack of inventory. Definitely. We've seen it recently where uh, when COVID hit, a lot of people gave up their units downtown, their condos that they were renting gave up. And I hear from the people that that I work with year and a half ago, they had 25 units to look at if they were out looking in certain neighborhoods. Today, there might be one or two. So certainly as people are returning to work, we're seeing a big pressure on the rental units. 
And that's going to increase as more people are mandated to come back to the offices. Well, I think it also, when we talk about the, you know, the core of the downtown Toronto, now that we've opened up the arenas, now we open up venues, now we're opening up restaurants more, I think people are going to want to return to a lifestyle that they've missed. So I think that attraction will continue to draw people back down into the core, which, again, as you had mentioned, you know, we, we, we are always in a deficit of building in the downtown core with the number of buyers that are trying to get there. Definitely. You know, as much as we think we can deliver more units, uh, if you look at the numbers year after year, we are capped out, you know, as to how many we can, no matter if we sell more, we can only still deliver in that 18 to 20,000 uh, unit range. So as the borders open up and we need more, uh, we're going to have to find a way to build it. Selling units is one thing, building it is another. Well, I think you know? the demand is going to be there, Mike, for years to come, just because just the sheer volume of people coming in, you know, interest rates are are historically low. They will have some pressure on them in the next 18 to 24 months, but not not nothing substantial. I think interest rates are going to stay low and it's going to keep people attracted to, to buying properties. Todd, we're key and we want to own our homes, right? <laughs> we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's a dream and it's a dream of immigrants that are coming to own their home, to have that security. And, and I, I don't think that's going to stop. You know, the rental market will continue to be strong, you know, because people that want to live in downtown and a lot of these places that, and are somewhat transient because of their jobs are going to rent. So, you know, we're, we're becoming a truly international city in the world. And, and we're seeing the growth that's happening. Well, listen, Mike, great catching up with you today. I appreciate you coming on the show as usual. And uh, definitely I'll touch base with you before the end of the year so we can kind of get a, an overall purview on what's happened. But thanks once again for joining me uh, today. Thanks for having me. Folks, that was Mike Chesahosky, Executive Vice President at CBRE. And when we come back, I've got Benjamin Tall from CIBC World Markets joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, he is the Deputy Chief Economist for CIBC World Markets, Mr. Benjamin Tall. And Mr. Tall, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure having you on, sir. And, you know, you and I haven't spoken for a few months and I was hoping to, you know, get some of the insight. Uh, I've seen a lot of articles that have quoted you. Obviously, we're in completely... I think uncharted territory right now with what's happening around the world in the economy and love to hear your take on how you see the real estate market performing, uh, what we can anticipate in the future, interest rates. So, you know, pretty much your, your entire gamut. I'd love to have some, some feedback with you. Yes, I think that the number one issue that people are discussing at this point is, of course, inflation. Now, if you're under the age of 30, you don't even know how to spell the word inflation <laughs> because it has been missing in action for decades. So now all of a sudden you see numbers like 5 6% inflation rate and uh, you start thinking about the possibility of uh, inflation. And, you know, economists have their many faults, but uh, amnesia is not one of them. Everybody remembers the 1970s and the situation in which uh, inflation was rising while the unemployment rate was rising as well. And the question is to what extent the supply chain issues that we are facing are inflationary and to what extent it will impact economic growth and therefore interest rates and therefore the housing market. Uh, at this point, it seems that the market uh, is not really panicking about the situation. Why? Because the Fed in the US, the Bank of Canada here in Canada, telling us that basically, listen, what you see in terms of inflation is, is a mirage. It's not real. Everything is temporary and it will not last. Uh, now, it is true that a lot of the things that we are seeing 
are going to be short-lived because they are very special cases. But nobody, nobody knows where inflation will be six, eight months from now. And when I say nobody, I include the Bank of Canada and the Fed in that nobody. And I think that uh, that's very, very important when it comes to the real estate market because how the Bank of Canada will react to this potential inflation is key. Because what is the number one enemy of the real estate market? It's not the fundamentals because they are very strong. It's not even higher interest rates. The number one enemy is rising interest rates fast, basically fast and rapid increase in interest rates. That's basically the issue that is facing the housing market. And therefore, when I see the Bank of Canada, and I see the Bank of Canada very often, unfortunately, I say, listen, why don't you start early, start raising, it, raising interest rates a bit early in order to buy some insurance to prevent a situation in which you are chasing inflation, which is a lagging indicator. And I'm very encouraged by the fact that uh, the Bank of Canada is now tweeting about the possibility of raising interest rates earlier, basically by mid-2022. I think that would be a very good thing for the housing market. So to put a lot of our listeners at ease, because you did touch on something where if we raise it a little bit slower, uh, in years past, you and I have had discussions regarding interest rates. Uh, we did see the uptick back in 2018 and 2019, which actually brought the the pent-up demand down a little. People were not as aggressive going out and buying. In fact, our volume of transactions dropped significantly, not so much the price, but the actual transactions Right now, we're in what we would consider a very aggressive market. There's a lot of transactions you know, coming to play. Do you feel that a quarter point to a half a point uh, increase in interest rates would be enough to cool some of the market? Uh, no, you need more than that, but you would like uh, to see it going slowly, allowing the market to adjust. You know, the last thing you want to do is to shock the market with a 2% increase in interest rates over a very short period of time. If you look back at the 2008 uh, financial crisis, what triggered that, not caused, but triggered that, was the fact that back then, before the crisis, Mr. Greenspan raised interest rates from basically 1% to 5% over the course of breakfast. This shock basically triggered the mother of all recessions. In fact, I would say that every economic recession in the post-war era was helped, if not caused, by a monetary policy error in which central banks raise interest rates way too quickly. So I suggest if we start early and go baby steps, the market will adjust slowly. And listen, interest rates are at close to zero. That's not a normal rate of interest. We know that it will go up. It will go up eventually by 100, 150, maybe 200 basis points. But at the same time, if you do it slowly, you allow the market to adjust. If you shock the market, that's a totally different story. So there's there's headlines out there that are saying that you know Toronto uh, has been ranked the second biggest housing bubble in the world. You know I've talked about bubbles in the past and you know one of the things that we also have talked about and discussed in length is supply and demand. You know Canada has a shortage of supply. Is it possible that we are living a bubble here in Toronto? Well, to put things in perspective, 10 years ago, I was invited to New York. It was an IMF-sponsored symposium. And uh, it was a closed door, about 30 uh, fund managers, the biggest uh, globally. Mr. Greenspan was there. Myron Schultz, the Nobel Prize winner in economics, was there. And the topic of this debate that I took place in was short Canada, sell Canada. Why? Well, because of the bubble in the housing market in Canada. That was 10 years ago. 
that was 85% ago in terms of market appreciation. So back then they were believing that this was a bubble. This kind of uh, commentary is uh, due to misunderstanding of the issue facing Toronto and Canada in general. In Toronto, we are basically not building enough. Population growth is rising, immigration, we know the story, not permanent residents, students. We have huge demand and we are not building enough. There is a shortage of um, products, shortage, shortage, shortage of uh, units, especially detached houses. So this is something that will continue to put pressure on the housing market in Toronto. We must deal with the supply issue. And for the first time, I mean, I'm encouraged to see that the government is talking about fixing the supply issue. Again, they are very wishy-washy about what they're going to do, but at least we are moving this direction. Without fixing the supply issue, Toronto will remain totally unaffordable. When, when we talk about, you know, some of the COVID benefits that have been put out there, you had mentioned uh, potentially that you think that they should be more sector specific. And so there's a lot of people, obviously, that have relied on some of these benefits. What, what, what do you see as the issue here? Well, uh, if you look at what's happening uh, in Canada as a whole, and it's actually a global story, uh, we see wages rising. Why wages are rising? To an extent because of the fact that uh, companies, especially restaurants, hotels, aviation, they cannot find people. You look at the job vacancy numbers in Canada, they are at a record high. Same goes to the U.S. So basically what I'm saying here, if you pay people to stay home, especially young people with relatively low wage and low satisfaction jobs, they will stay home. And that's why we are facing a significant shortage of labor. This is not the only reason. There are many other reasons. But I think that if we are more targeted when it comes to uh, assistance, then maybe some of those people will go back to the labor market. And I expect that will happen when assistance gets, uh, you know, comes to an end. Well, I think labor shortage is also one of our concerns in the building industry. And, you know, we are capped on our ability to build so many properties per year. Again, the anticipation is that, you know, over the next few years, even in Ontario, we could be up to a million units short of what's going to be required. Is there really anything that can be done? I mean, we can ask the governments to speed things up, but there's got to be more than that because the government themselves are not going to solve this issue. Yes, uh, I think we have to uh, rethink zoning. Basically, not all houses have to be detached. You have to actually uh, add a little bit uh, more floors to basically allow this kind of uh, supply to be satisfied. Uh, we have a situation in which uh, I don't see a very easy solution to the situation. Clearly, we have to speed up the process in which uh, uh, you know municipalities release land and um, permits. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. There is a limit to how quickly we can um, supply the market given restrictions in terms of jobs and clearly also material. One thing that might help uh, over time will be the fact that uh, people are getting older and you will see a growing supply coming from uh, older Canadians that uh, basically die or move to an old age retirement uh, place. So this is something that will increase supply of low-rise uh, units but will not be enough to satisfy it. Add to the fact that uh, immigration in Canada will be rising, not falling, and we have a situation in which uh, we have to rethink zoning and rezoning and converting 
existing buildings that are now not residential to residentials, as well as we have to think about uh, rental as a, a way of supporting the housing market, especially purpose-built rental, which I believe is the solution to our affordability crisis. Well, Mr. Tall, I greatly appreciate you joining me today. Always a pleasure having you on the show, and thank you so much for your insight. A pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Benjamin Tall, and he is the Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets. And when we come back, we'll have more, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Now is the president of Right at Home Realty, John Lissink. And John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Todd. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I, I greatly appreciate your time today. And um, I do want to just have a quick, uh, you know, chat with you about, you know, your background. You know, I know you've been in real estate uh, for, you know, quite a few years. And maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself. Sure, be happy to. Um, this actually is my 35th year in the business. Um, so, uh, it, it's been a while. Uh, I, I fell into the business back in 1986, um, after a, a, a getting a, an undergraduate degree and started in commercial real estate and, and then moved eventually into development and then into management on the residential side. So, um, I've got a, a mix behind me and, um, hopefully um, have some uh, valuable information to offer you, I hope. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you do. And, 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 you know, really one of the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, of course, you know, we've just come through, you know, an absolutely useless election. Uh, it, uh, it didn't, it didn't move the needle, didn't change anything. A lot of promises being thrown around though. Um, you know, real estate being probably one of the hot, hottest topics, you know, you, uh, you run a, a huge brokerage, you know, did, did the needle move at all, because basically I, what I heard was a lot of empty commitments from a lot of different party leaders. And, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I think it's just, you know, it's the same if we take a look this, you know, this weekend, it's the same as last weekend. I don't think anything moved. I don't think any promises, you know, really can, will come forward. So how do you feel about the real estate industry and, and what happened? Well, the um, certainly I agree with you. First of all, a lot of um, um, promises, a lot of um, I think um, all parties, quite frankly, picked up on the fact that real estate was was an, uh, a very trendy topic, and I think they were hoping to collect more votes. Um, uh, I don't believe that happened. Nothing has changed or moved. Um, there were a few. Um, uh, you know, interesting ideas here and there, but but nobody, none of the parties tackled the real issue, um, and you know, none of them obviously offered any solutions. So it was a 600 million plus exercise that uh, could have been better spent. Uh, quite frankly, providing affordable uh, housing. Right. Now, John, I do want to talk to you about a couple of issues, obviously, right now that we take a look at in the real estate industry. You know, if we talk about things such as, you know, some of the, the bidding wars. Now, the market the market has seemed to settle down, fortunately, without any major government intervention. You know, I think we might get back to our right. regular cycle of real estate, you know, where we, we, we can turn around and say, okay, spring market's hot, you know, summer cools off a little, fall will pick up, and of course, right around the holidays, we know that, you know, things will drop off a little. So maybe our cycle returns, but, you know, one of the things that we've experienced over the last few years is the whole idea of bidding wars and you know there's some some craziness behind it 
And I, I want your take on this and, and how you instruct some of your agents on not just how they conduct the actual bidding war itself, but more importantly, you know, the advice that, you know, some of the, uh, some of the buyers and sellers should have. Boy, um, <laughs> there's a lot there to answer. Um, let, let me first off um, uh, say that um, certainly blind bidding does have issues. And, and part and parcel of that is, is um, I, I believe there's two areas that, that need to be addressed. One is education. Um, you know, one of the areas that I, I believe we as an industry have, have um, failed at, quite frankly, is providing, you know, the, the best education around, you know, fiduciary duties and how to conduct things like, for example, bidding, um, the, the blind bidding process. That's one. And the second part is regulations. Now, the Real Estate Business Brokers Act is being uh, updated as we speak. Um, new legislation will come in, but you know I think there are some things that need to happen uh, in order to you know protect the consumer better. And, and unfortunately, I'm not sure uh, that that that's happened. So those are the two um, I would say things in behind the scenes that need to be addressed. As far as how we instruct um, our agents, uh, you know. We're always focused on making sure everybody is aware as much as possible about everything. What I mean by that is whether you've got two offers or 20 offers, how the sellers is going to review these offers, how they're going to conduct the whole process. It's actually quite an art to do this properly. And, you know, uh, I think sometimes agents get into it and then suddenly get overwhelmed. And, and, you know, don't have a good process, um, you know, organized. And so it, 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 it's, it's a really difficult thing to manage 8, 10, 12, 15, 20, you know, uh, eager um, uh, agents and buyers. So it, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. But th there are issues, and as an industry, we do need to address them. Right. I know, I know the Liberal government had thrown out that memo and uh, the entire real estate world, uh, you know, jumped on it when they were trying to right. imply that, you know, the typical bid process should be criminal. They want to throw in the idea of the auction style bidding as in Australia. You know, again, right. I think, I think the, you know, that kind of government intervention is not, you know, should not be allowed. It should not even be considered. You know, I think that more local municipality, you know, training and style of bidding should be maybe focused on as opposed to telling people that, you know, you can't sell your primary residence, you know, your your biggest asset the way you wish. Yeah, look, there's one thing that, um, and it might have been, you'll have to um, forgive me if I'm, if I'm picking the wrong party, but it might have been the, the liberals who suggested that, uh, there needs to be a legal right to a home inspection. I mean, what, one of the things that I do agree with is um, finding a way to uh, reduce the frenzy and perhaps instituting a, a fixed or a minimum time frame or a cooling off period. Because the flip side of what, what's been happening here is that we see people get into bidding wars and then you have buyer remorse. And, and then, you know, that creates its own set of problems. And, and the second part is the existing legislation does have teeth. Um, the challenge is, you know, having enough compliance officers and, and a system that, that can 
you know, deal with complaints and, and issues in a timely fashion. You know, not where we end up two years later with someone finally being hauled in front of the, uh, you know, tribunal to uh, answer for how they did or didn't handle, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bidding war. So, and with respect to Australia, I mean, I think I read a study that about 16% of, of real estate in Australia is traded via ways via the open auction system. So, um, you know, one thing that has been suggested is that, you know, Blind bidding has created the kind of market we're in. That, that's ridiculous. It's, it's a supply side issue. It has nothing to do with blind bidding. And so, you know, Australia and New Zealand are perfect examples of where the open auction system hasn't hasn't suddenly made more real estate available for buyers. Right. And, you know, that's that's one of those comments that I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with is the fact that we do have inventory issues and whenever you have more buyers than you do sellers, I mean, that's really how the math works. And so if, yeah. you, if you're going to summarize, you know, 2021 as a marketplace, um, how do you feel? How, how is the real estate world here in Ontario for 2021? Well, from a, um, you know, from a, a brokerage perspective, um, we've been uh, blessed. We're, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, I can speak from personal experience with my spouse working in the hospitality industry. I can tell you that there's two very different conversations at the uh, dining room table. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, so so we, we've been blessed. It's been very strong. Um, and, and, and contrary to what, again, I think sometimes the politicians and, uh, and perhaps even the uh, public might believe not every realtor is is you know making a million dollars. I mean, you know, there's a group that have done well, and there's a group that are are also struggling. So, yeah. but as a whole, it's been a strong a strong market um, for you know the real estate brokerage world. Well, listen, John, I greatly appreciate you joining me today. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show, and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Thanks so much, Todd. It's been a pleasure as well. Thank you so much. Folks, that's John Lissink, and he's president of Right at Home Realty. I do want to thank my guests for joining me this hour, Mike Chesahosky, Executive VP at CBRE. I want to thank Mr. Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist of CIBC World Markets, and John Lissink from Right at Home. Always great to have the pros join me. And um, I want to thank Ian Grant, as usual. He keeps it simple as my producer here. Don't forget, coming up Thursday, October the 28th at 7 p.m., my Simple Investment Real Estate webinar. That's right. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. And uh, that's a wrap. By the way, I do want to thank you for tuning in. You do make us the number one real estate talk show. And um, again, I will be back next Sunday at noon. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.